Hello, hello, hello. Welcome. Good morning. Good night. Anything like, I don't know where you guys are around the world. Hopefully you guys are all well anyways. We have John Shin over here smiling from ear to ear. I'm not sure why, but we'll get into that a bit later. Um, but yeah, you, you guys all good, Jason. John, you guys good? Good, man. Good. Really happy to be here. I mean, good Sunday and then an even better Wednesday. You know, I get to sit with two Man United fans and just watch them cry. So it should be a good day for me. This is this is what I was expecting. That's why I have a smile yeah. on my face. Because if no, we 100%. don't smile, what are we going to do? We can't, I ain't sitting here crying. Honestly. You know what I mean? Honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's obviously just like an Arsenal supporter just to sit on the high horse at the moment and yeah. just look down on us. And we, we don't actually have any comeback, to be honest. So I guess that's the episode. Cheers, guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most views... Most comments, everything, yeah. Longest video we've ever shot. Yeah, no, just like let's just like start with this with this game. That I mean, the the first half it, it wasn't too bad from a United point of uh, Manchester United point of view, um, but yeah, just just all like kind of imploded in the second half, if you would put it that way. Uh, John, if you can just like uh, kick us off on. On what what your thoughts were during that game on on Sunday? Uh, well, I think <clears throat> I think Manchester United fans, you know, this might sound like an excuse to rival fans, but I think most Manchester United fans were pretty straightforward in terms of our expectation going down to the Emirates. We all knew that it was going to be a very difficult game. We knew that it was going to be one of those performances where if we walked away with the draw, we would have been very happy considering the circumstances we were finding ourselves in. And I personally was thinking throughout parts of that first half, especially towards the second half. Maybe we could get a result. Maybe we can get a win. I was doing a live stream with uh, with my friends, and when Garnacho scored that goal, unfortunately, it was offsides. But I was like, I told you so, and I was going crazy. But again, like I said, prior to the match, I thought I would have been extremely happy with walking away with a point, considering the circumstances and the state of affairs at Manchester United. Unfortunately, um, you know, when it rains, it pours, and it's just gotten worse and worse. But I think we were okay for most parts of that match. I'm going to be completely honest. It wasn't a a doom and gloom performance by any stretch of the imagination, which was a very pleasant surprise to me, considering how dog poopoo we were against Wolves, against Spurs in particular. Oh my days, don't even get me started. And <clears throat> of course, the comeback win against Forrest, we looked so sloppy. We looked, we looked like we were lacking sharpness. We looked devoid of ideas. We weren't finishing. Every single aspect of those um, traits that completely encapsulate a team not ready to play in the Premier League or start, rather, the season... Manchester United turned that around against a really good side in Arsenal, in my view. And the result is the result. Arsenal took the result and they deserve the win. If you ask me, whatever, the refereeing and all that stuff. I always believe that at the end of the day, the result is the result. And you write your own destiny in these kinds of moments. And they took the three points, and rightly so. But as much as right now, we might be surrounded with all of this dark energy. In terms of that performance itself, I was actually okay. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with so many of the comments that, that you just brought up now. But one thing that, if if I'm comparing the current United side to how we ended last season, some things just don't, don't seem like it's supposed to fit, if you can put it that way. Um, we, we started the season feeling or looking um, unfit. We looked unprepared. Um, so many of the players, they look off the pace of the game every single game mm -hmm. and 
last season there was a certain style that everybody was sort of picking up from Eric Ten Hag. I'm not really seeing much of that this season. So is that down to Eric Ten Hag just trying to get everybody on board, all these new signings in, get everybody playing with Onanas, playing out from the back? Um, what What's changed since last season? Um, time. You know, Father Time waits for nobody, my man. And I'm telling you right now, our midfield is still nowhere near contention for any of the top six Premier League challenging. Like, we're not ready for any of that stuff. And now, look, I'm not trying to write off Casemiro. I'm not trying to write off Christian Eriksen because they have been phenomenal for us. But if any viewers are watching and you guys happen to be under 25, maybe under 30, whatever it is, I'm telling you right now, post 30, shit switches quickly. You know what I mean? Back in the days, <laughs> I had a full head of hair. I had everything. My hair looked like Jason. I was like... It was lush. Now every day I go wash, I go have a wash in my shower, and I look at, I look down at the drain. I go, oh my days, what's going on? My back's starting to hurt. I've never had back pain. I used to make fun of all my friends that used to have back pain. I was like, yo, y'all old as hell. Now I'm sitting here like, oh my god, I'm feeling sore. I'm not saying Casemiro and Christian Eriksen are not like fantastic examples of pure athletes, but those are things that affect the game, and it's easy for people to just point fingers and direct it, direct blame at one person. But Manchester United have been a problem, an amalgamation of problems at this club for so long with respect to signings. I mean, we were talking, I mean, oh my, like, where do I even get started? We were talking about signing players to really support Eric Ten Hag's true vision. And I thought we were, ma we were making headway, but you cannot sign midfielders with an average age. Now our average age, if we start Bruno, Christian Eriksen, Casemiro, that's an average age of like 29 point something. That is high. That is very, very high for a midfield. If you want robust energy industry, if, especially when the Premier League has developed, I mean, developed into this high energy, high output, lots of work rate, you can't compete with that kind of midfield. No matter how much Bruno might look like Jisung Park in terms of three lungs, he's going to need five lungs if you want to compensate for things like that. And it doesn't work. You want it. We wanted to sign midfielders. We signed, we signed Mason Mount, but we can't just sign Mason Mount. We got to sign more. Obviously, we signed Sofian Amrabat, but that wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had to wait until deadline day if we sold our players early. But we gambled on the idea of selling these players early to bring in Sofian Amrabat, and we actually paid for that gamble because we couldn't sell the players, right? It's just problems left, right, and center. And then you talk about why we couldn't sell the players. We talk about Harry Maguire. You talk about players like, you know, Jaden Sancho, even if you want to include him in the conversation. A lot of these players on these lopsided, uh, sort of unjustified wages and these massive contracts, all under the uh, stewardess, stewardship of, Ed Woodward, you know what I mean? So now we're like, we're going back in time and like, I don't want to sit here going on for like 20 minutes talking about whose fault it is. But at the end of the day, when you run, when you want to run a football club to challenge in one of the most competitive leagues in the world, in what I believe to be the most competitive Premier League season that I'll remember, you need to be sharp. You need to make decisions from top down, good decisions. And Manchester United have not done that, unfortunately. And that pains me to say, but it is true. It is fact. Obviously, Sofian Amrabat coming into the squad now. Mason Mount returning hopefully as soon as possible. You know, maybe things are going to look better. And I truly believe that things are going to look better. But these are the reasons as to why we've been looking poo. Yeah, I know. Um, I, once again, echoing everything that you're saying. Jason, from, from an Arsenal supporter point of view um was was united's midfield um basically the the lack of cohesion in united's midfield was that quite visible to to an arsenal supporter um yeah definitely uh, i think it's not only this game though i think we we had noted i think it was maybe the wolves game first where it just looked like 
they were exposing Casemiro, right? He's the single six playing and he's getting overrun by, who is it, Nunes, uh, Cunha, all of these guys that have legs. I mean, John's mentioned that it's it's a season that's picked up in the like, sort of the dynamic nature, right? So everybody's midfield is stacked. They have runners, they have good ball players. And whilst Man United probably have the good ball players part, I think they are getting overrun quite a bit there. There seems to be a bit of dysfunction between that defense and midfield and attack, you know, where City and maybe Arsenal, even Liverpool now to an extent, have that fluidity going. It looks like it's just, yeah, it looks like it's a bit dysfunctional. Um, I think first off, like like you were saying, um, I don't think Man United were completely out of it. Um, I think Arsenal might have had the ball in better areas, but it's not like we were completely, like, completely over, like, running you guys through it, right? There, there were some decent times, but it's also, once you win the ball from us and then you're playing it forward, you have Anthony, who's maybe going to stand on the ball for a bit, Rashford, who's either just going to run away, try and take on three, or he's also going to stand on it. And then you have Bruno trying to firstly defend and then sprint all the way up to then be a, a support. So it's, yeah, there's lots of things. And like John said, it's coming down from the top and it's been coming for a long time. And it's actually, it's going to get bad. Um, I think last season we had spoken about this new Tenak era and it has to get really bad first, unfortunately. And it's it's never nice to actually watch this and it's like it needs to go into the pits and then it needs to come up. Like, I mean, Arsenal, we we were there. I was I used to watch games against Crystal Palace and, you know, we got a guy like Socrates, we have Mustafi playing, we got Seat Kolasinac, we got um, Alneni playing up against all these guys who are running past him. And I'm thinking like, this guy can run like 15Ks easily, but can he get to those quick sprints, which is, I think, where it's maybe being exposed, right? Um, but yeah, it's just, it's it's one of those things. Until you sort out all the rot that comes from the top, it will just keep filtering down, keep seeping into the team. And I think there's a lot of off-the-field issues that have crept in. I mean, during Fergie's time, you hardly ever hear about any of this, but I think maybe in this day and age where social media is so rife, you have the Sancho thing, you have the Anthony thing, you have the signings that could have been, that should have been, you have the injuries. I think it's it's tough, man. And then you have Tenar who has to field all these questions and yeah, it's it's hard. So unfortunately, gents, <laughs> it's how it's gonna be for a, a decent time. I'm just I'm just gonna go back quickly to um basically how you said that uh, Arsenal went through through a similar approach and Looking where Arsenal is now, I mean, signing players like Declan Rice and Kai Havertz and all these like big name signings, you guys paid paid a lot of money for it, um, for them. Um, somebody like Declan Rice with some immediate impact. Um, yeah. Do you do you do you see the the progress that these players has brought into the into the club and how much better they are going to make the team moving forward? <laughs> Um, yeah, obviously looking at Declan Rice, he's, I mean, everybody can talk for hours. Uh, I think his, his ability and all of that was clear. It was very evident when winners at West Ham, right? And he was a big fish in a very small pond and I comes to a bigger pond and he's actually holding his own, right? I think it's a testament to his footballing IQ. I think it's a testament to Arteta to be able to incorporate him, you know, quickly, efficiently and for him to understand his role to understand what it needs to be uh, in that lone six position, I think it's it's massive. Um, I think jury's still out a bit on uh, Kai Havertz. I think there's definitely a player there. 
I think he was just in a really toxic relationship. And I think if you've ever been in uh, one of those, it takes a while to get out of that mindset, you know. Um, so maybe you just need some uh, good vibes. Hopefully that that can come through. And um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that we peak at the correct time. I think last season everybody saw it. we we started like a house on fire, right? And we we started running the show very early. And then we lost steam and then we picked up a bit. Then we lost even more steam. And then everybody knows, you know, we, we ended up not finishing where we'd have wanted to. I'm hoping for a peak come February. Arsenal of old would really fall out of all of the competitions come February, March, April. I'm hoping that we only pick up form then, really. So these these little scrappy games, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm hoping given more time, given a few more games together, everything starts to gel. Maybe Kai gets his first goals, maybe a few more goals. Um, yeah, it's just, I think everybody's trying to compete with Man City. So it's just being consistent. <laughs> That's literally all it is at this moment in time. Man, like trying to con- compete with Man City is... It's a it's it's a different issue all on its own, eh? I mean, yeah. you have somebody like Highland, like the he scored a hat trick this past weekend, and I was I watched uh, quite a bit of the game, and he didn't look that great, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he, he makes it count when when it's necessary, when we need when yeah. the team needs it. Um, John, can you just uh, speak a bit about? Like what your what your opinion has been of Man City starting the season? I mean, we we know that they lost Kevin De Bruyne, but that hasn't slowed them down one bit. No, and you you might you know if you're an opposition fan, you want them to slow down, but that's not going to happen. You've seen it. It is an example. You know that's credits to Pep Guardiola and what he's been doing with Manchester City. Uh, you know Pep, uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Gundogan, you know, there was reports about Bernardo Silva who was potentially thinking about leaving, you know, Kyle Walker was thinking about leaving, but they're all staying. And this team, the way Pep Guardiola structures them, they're already winning these games before they even go on the pitch because of the because of the structural uh, aspect, because of how good they are from a systematic perspective. I'm talking from both on and off the pitch. You're talking about how Erling Haaland wasn't that good. He he can have these dead games but still score one or two goals and goals are what essentially what wins you games. And that's what your job is. You can have a stinker of a performance on that pitch doing absolute gobshite, nothing running around, having the ball hit your freaking nose and then like miss church, miss touching the ball, whatever. But if you are on the end of that, receiving uh, the ball to receive the ball for a shot and you put that thing in the back of the net, you've done your job. You know, to what degree varies, but Pep Guardiola doesn't need Erling Holland running around like a headless chicken. Pep Guardiola needs Ed Erling Holland to be the, the the final man to receive that final ball and put that shit in the back of the net. And that's exactly what he does. And that's what his role is. And he's a beast at it too. He can push people out of the way, get in positions, beat people in a physical battle, aerial presence, dribble, shoot, everything. Every aspect of his game is great. So Pep Guardiola was never thinking about slowing down. And I don't think... Ever, I don't think Manchester United or, or sorry, I don't think Manchester City fans expected them to slow down at all. And, uh, you know, it, it hurts me to say, but it's the facts. And it, it's going to be very, very tough to compete with a side that, like, you know, Jason was talking about. Like, it, like that kind of consistency was going to, is going to be in, incredibly hard for any competitor to try and match. Yeah, yeah I know. Jason, are you going to say something? No, yeah, no. I'm, I mean, echoing everything John's saying there, it's just they've, I mean, also it pays to spend quite a bit of money, right? And um, I think you, you you also kind of see 
the value of Pep, right? I mean, people say that he's always managed good teams, but I think it's the hardest thing to manage so many different personalities. And you have Erling Haaland who came from Borussia Dortmund and he was, I mean, an absolute gunslinger, right? And he comes with this big persona and he comes into this Man City team and he fully understands what his role is. And maybe Pep doesn't like that because to Erling Haaland, I think one of his interviews, losses and early losses, and he was saying, if I have to touch the ball twice and I have to score twice, then, then he's, he's very happy. Um, and I think Pep wants him to be more involved. But I think Pep also appreciates the fact that when De Bruyne is putting in those crosses, Haaland's there. He's not involved in the whole build-up play. He's not involved in occupying. He gets into the areas very quickly and he finishes chances. And I think even if they're not playing bad, they get one chance and they will finish it. And I think that's what all the teams currently lack. I think Man United in particular haven't had a striker of any real quality and caliber since probably Rooney. I mean, maybe I'm I'm forgetting somebody along the way there, but I think Rooney was, if you had to put the ball there, Rooney would finish. If you have to give him 1v1, even a 2v1, he would be able to make something happen. And I think all the teams lack that clinical finisher. And I mean, City, the seasons before that, Aguero was up in the, like he was in the berth and he was out of berth, they had Jesus, and then they just replace him with somebody who only finishes. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so they've done really well. And what they have done now, even, I mean, losing Gunagan, they replace him with Kovacic and then Mateus Nunes. They literally, instead of stagnating, they just go into the next level to establish dominance even further. So it's like, it's hard. And I think we always preach about consistency and how winning games matters. Um They've got that blueprint, they have that mindset, and they are ready to go every season. And I'm waiting for those wheels to come off, but it just seems like it's so far from actually happening. And it's kind of upsetting, yeah. but also, I mean, we, we're watching greatness right in front of us. I think this is probably what all the other clubs looked at when it was the Fergie and Wenger era, right? Every season, we just go toe-to-toe, and it's just like complete dominance, and we, we're seeing it now. Yeah, I know that um, the the fact that they are able to replace these players with world class talent. I mean, Riyad Mahrez as well. He left, and then they replaced him with Doku, um, yeah. who is a, a really good talent. Like I've I've been reading so many good things about him from people um, playing in the Premier League, uh, Belgian players, um, other players that's played with him before calling him like a really, really good talent. Um, so that's something to be frightened about. Um, but just moving on from Manchester City, we'll, we'll go to a club that's owned by an American, Mr. Todd Bowley. So John Shin, your, your, your stateside guy. The guy's just, he's just making, making it rain, eh? <laughs> but he, well, like Todd Bowley has always... Him buying that club, I'm pretty sure he knew the challenge he was going to be accepting. It wasn't going to be an easy walk in the park. And I think what Todd Bowley understands from an American perspective is that sports works very, very different differently outside of the States. Outside In the States, it's a, it's a franchise, closed league. You can be absolute crap, but also continue to uh, generate heavy, t- uh, heavy TV revenue, have a consistent... Uh, uh, profit margin because of the fan base and whatever and you have you know drafts and all of these things i don't want to go too deeply into it but it's a very different setup and i think todd Bowley, as crazy as it sounds i personally think he's doing a decent job because what he's doing is at least showing the chelsea fans and at least showing to the rest of the the competition especially in europe's big five that 
They're not here to just roll over and collect revenue that, like, for example, the Glazers are doing. The Glazers, they bought the club on a, you know, on a on a debt, and they're just like seeping out. They're just, you know, literally seeching out, uh, leeching away with dividends and things of that nature. Whereas Dot Bowley, obviously, he's still new to the game. So we, you know, the verdict's still out, the jury's still out on him. But at least from a starting perspective, he's showing to the Chelsea fans, look, I'm not here to just collect cash. I'm here to spend. And he spent a hell of a lot of money. To what degree of success that's going to bring, uh, bring. I'm being completely honest with you. I'm not a big fan of managers. Just, I mean, um, I'm not a big fan of clubs just spending hella money and just dumping 20 new players on a coach and be like, hey, to figure it out because that's not how it works. But yeah. I think it's a start in the right direction. At least if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'd rather see my club spend mad money and get 20 players than struggle for three and then sign two on deadline day. And it wasn't even the ones you wanted. You know what I mean? Like, it's not even a lesser of two evils in my view. I think it's actually a good thing for Chelsea fans to be seeing this thing. With respect to the performance on the pitch, you know, if content creators love to bash about how, like, you know, if opposition clubs doing bad, oh, nah, nah, nah. like, nah, I think Chelsea's going to take time and Pochettino's going to need time as well. He just, he had a stint in PSG having to deal with Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, three players that was going to be very hard for him to control and manage in term, in, in balance with a squad. And now he's with a Chelsea squad where he wants full control. You can clearly tell the way he speaks. He doesn't give a damn who you are anymore. He just wants 110% domination with respect to how he manages the players, how the he uh, how he wants to be respected, and all of those things. And I think it's going to take time. Uh, I, uh, you know, it'd be easy for me to be like, ah, Todd Bowley spending hella money, huh? You American stupid. Like, I could do that, but I don't think that's the case at all. Yeah. Um, just going onto the, onto the um, on-pitch performance, I don't think Pochettino is a bad manager. Like, if anything, I think he's one of the better managers in the Premier League. And like you said, um, you, you're dropping about 20 players, 20 new players on this guy. And it's, he's, he's not a magician. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, like every manager has their limit, limitations. So it's going to take time um, for him to, to get the players to buy in to his philosophy, to his style of play. And um, yeah, like... Last season, it just seemed like Chelsea had no plan. They had no vision. Um, this season, the games that I've watched, they're not playing badly. They they really aren't playing playing bad football. Um, this this style of play, there is understanding between the players. You can see that they what they're trying to achieve. Um, I, I mentioned this a couple of uh, episodes ago that experience goes a long way in the Premier League and at the moment Chelsea has a very young squad um you have the odd player like uh Thiago Silva that has like buckets of experience but I mean at the end of the day I think the average age in the squad is like 23 24 um yeah, that's that's very young so yeah. it's 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 going to take time like John said it's it's going to take time Whatever the, uh, Pochettino is trying to achieve, it's you will it will come to fruition eventually. Uh, Chelsea fans just need to to sit tight. Um, but I mean the the everything is there. Like I'm a United fan watching a Chelsea game, and I can see what they're trying to achieve. So you know, average, I don't think it's, average it's a bad age, thing that they're losing to. Yeah, no average age from a from a structural standpoint. I think you can it can go about it both ways. Everybody was nobody started last season thinking that Arsenal was going to do so well the, the way that they did. And I, if I'm 
correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Arsenal's average age last season, their squad was relatively young, very young, I think. Yeah. And it's about the system. It's about how you get it to work. When Gareth Bale left Tottenham back then, it shocked Spurs. They spent money, but it shocked Spurs. Andres Villas-Boas, he quit, and my man said, I'm done with this shit, and he started driving cars in F1. Like, he was done. They brought in Tim Sherwood, and then they brought in Pochettino, where team, now Pochettino had to put together a squad of these, these random players, figure out who needed to go, figure out who could stay, figure out who actually he needs to bring to make this all gel. And he had a young side then, too. So I think Pochettino, with the time that he has, with the squad that he has, it, uh, I mean, sorry, with the experience that he has, sorry, with the, with the experience that he has and with the squad that he has, it's going to take time, but nobody should just be like, oh, there's no way he's going to be able to compete. I think we should keep a close eye, a close eye on him. Yeah, I think if if anything, even, he has this blank, not blanket season, but he has a season where nobody's really expecting anything. I think last season they had such a poor showing that anything looks infinitely better than what they had shown. And I, I think it was also, it was really quite a, a harder show off the pitch, right? Because I think they had like three different managers and they also signed a bucket load of of guys. And it's like, you have these long contracts, you know, the the death row records contract that, that everybody jokes about. And okay, maybe they've signed more of it. Maybe it's just this loophole that, that he's figured out. But I mean, yeah, I think we have to give them time, whether they'll get the same amount of time as maybe somebody coming into like a West Ham role, maybe somebody coming to a smaller club. I think Chelsea have a recent history of being very, very uh, reactionary. So things happen and then suddenly, okay, now we have to fire this guy. We have to get the next best thing. If they give the guy some some time, because it's it's not like they're signing a whole lot of bums, right? They're signing good quality young players who are pushing on international doors and who have competed both in Europe, both domestically from their leagues where, where they've where they've come. Um, yeah, give him some time to cook. I think it's also different because, like like John had mentioned, he was managing PSG, and you have all these personalities, and that's why I always take my hat off to like Pep and stuff, right? He controls all of the major personalities, and they're able to streamline into this system and idea, right? So now he, he has maybe a few young egos that he can maybe squash before it gets too big. But I definitely think give him some time. And I mean, you have this owner who, if I ask him for something, he's not prepared to say no. He's actually willing to say, okay. Let's get them on a 15-year contract and I'll splash the cash so you can have who you want. And that, yeah, that's actually two very good things to have going hand in hand. Um, so, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's they have a few decent fixtures coming up where they could possibly pick up some some good points. But also a few testing games where we'll, we'll see what this young team has about them. But I, what I will say, though, for Chelsea fans, I think that if there's one real area of concern is that they're going to have to really change how they view their football club. Chelsea have been yeah. uh, notorious. Uh, Jason, you mentioned the word reactionary. That A lot of that had to do with the way Abramovich ran his club. He was ruthless. Yeah. He was cutthroat. Yeah. If, you, if you didn't like it, if you didn't perform, you yeah. were gone. And that might be difficult to sort of establish. But for Abramovich, it worked because that's what Chelsea was known for. They do it for a while. Yeah. It almost kind of gave me this Hessian vibe, this mercenary energy of like they yeah. come in, do the job, and they go, right? And if they can't keep up to like the highest of standards, whatever. Whether you think that's right or wrong for a football club, that really, you know, that, I think that's a difference in opinion. I think Chelsea fans liked that in certain ways. You know, the idea of like give this guy time, I think it's not really all that there in Chelsea. But from an identity yeah. perspective, that's going to change. 
And I think Chelsea fans, if there is any concern, like I mentioned, it is going to be this, uh, are we going to give it, do we have to wait five years? Do we have to wait four years? You know what I mean? And I think that might be the difference maker in terms of how Chelsea's uh, future goes from a projection standpoint. But look, Now you're in line. Now everybody's now yeah. we're kind of all in equal footing here. You're not gonna you're not gonna have yeah. Todd Bowley just gonna sack everybody left, right, and center. You know what I mean? I think it's gonna be a different yeah. energy. Yeah. Yeah, no. On that note, I think we can start wrapping it up because we know John, you have to be exiting soon. But before you go, I see that KFC bucket in the back on your wall. Is there a story over there? Absolutely. He's this yeah. little chicken in there. That's the thing. No, no, that thing that thing <laughs> was cleaned out as soon as I got it, my man. It took me five minutes. I, was, uh, I get asked this question quite often. You know, I have a lot of other things in the background that I'd love to discuss, but the first question that always comes up is actually the KFC bucket. Uh, and it's right, you know, it's just like everything else is football or cool, and then all of a sudden you just see the colonel's face. You're like, what the hell is that? Um, for me, KFC is important because uh, I grew up here in America as an immigrant, and growing up, it was always very difficult for my family uh, from all aspects, trying to you know get adjusted to a new country, a new culture, learn the language, you know, and everything was so difficult. And 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 I wouldn't say we were very, 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 very poor, but we weren't even. I wouldn't. I'd say we were probably just teetering on the high end of the low class, if you will, you know, from a societal structural standpoint of sorts, and. Uh, we never went out to eat. My family never went out to eat. I think the only times we like went out to eat was whenever I graduated or when my brother graduated from high school or junior high school. And there was just that one time we go out to eat like noodles or something. And KFC was that one guilty pleasure where my pops once in a while would bring it home. And my grandpa and I are massive fans of fried chicken. And my yeah. grandfather and I would just, us two would just sit there. We'd look like animals just... Just, just like chickens would fear us. Like we would just yeah. shred that. We would destroy it. And, you know, um, my grandfather and I just have very fond memories of eating KFC together. And uh, we, uh, it's always forever in my heart because the, I, like, it always used to bring me that beautiful feeling of joy when, I used to, when my dad used to come through that door and I see him with a bag of KFC and coleslaw and biscuits and we just destroy yeah. it. So it was just, it's, it's there. Nah, that's, nah, that's, that's tough, such man. a that's cool tough. story, man. Dude, amazing. But yeah, on that note, uh, we will see you off, John. Where can the guys find you? Uh, you guys can find me across all social platforms, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Good Vibes John. Uh, I'm trying to reach my goal of 10,000 subscribers. I've been doing YouTube for quite a long time now, but I've never really seriously taken uh, you know, passion, like an actual serious passion towards it and for me last season that changed um, i'm trying to actually set goals and i've i've actually start since the start of last summer i set a goal of reaching 10,000 subscribers uh i have more numbers in other platforms but for me youtube has always been a place to where i just kind of wanted to make sure that you know i at least reached my goal so if you guys can help me reach my goal of 10,000 subscribers i'm a, just under a thousand sure. short if you guys can help me get there that'd be great sure. uh, amazing we'll definitely put your details in the description below Jason, where can the guys find you? Um, yeah, so on X, you can probably find me at Jason underscore Ronnie. I tweet a lot X. of nonsense. Um, so that's what's up. Uh, I am on TikTok. I don't post quite a bit. Um, yeah, but I'm, I'm on there as well. Uh, I think we can probably find the Sporty Goss TikTok account there. Posting loads of memes and the occasional clip. Um, so yeah, that's about it for me. Amazing. I am at AF. Parker 642 on all social media, I think. 
um, yeah, standardize it. Uh, yeah, and then don't forget to follow us at SportyCast on Twitter. X, sorry, apologies, Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> at SportyCast uh, on Instagram, on X, on TikTok, everywhere. Give us a like, give us a follow, tell your mom, tell your friends, tell everybody. Uh, there is a subscribe button at the bottom. Please hit that as well. You can hit the logo in the bottom uh, left corner of the screen as well. But yeah, thanks, Jason. Thanks, John, for taking time out from your lunch break to grace us with your presence. Thanks Great for that. as always.